Disrupt Radio, the sound of Australian entrepreneurial spirit. Self-improvement comes at a cost. Physically, financially, but crucially mentally. How do you stay sane? Maybe you own a business, are an entrepreneur, or simply want to improve yourself. Are you overloaded, overwhelmed, and just over it? On Soul Trader, you'll hear from individuals who have achieved huge things in life, how they keep it together, and how they survive the struggle to success. Hi, I'm Nick Brax, and this is Soul Trader. Disrupt Radio. Soul Trader. Reworking work. Think about a time you've faced adversity. At the time, it felt tough, but it helped you become the person you are now. No matter who you are, the world will throw obstacle after obstacle in front of you. And in each of these situations, we have the opportunity to either accept the present and make the most of circumstances, or use the circumstances as an excuse and play the victim. Many of the most successful people of our time attribute their wins to their ability to overcome adversity. Imagine growing up in the Middle East, poor, in a war zone, without a mother, and somehow becoming one of the most successful entrepreneurs in Australia. Soul Trader. Today's guest is a lawyer, pilot, and philanthropist. We've known each other for over a decade, and he's been a valuable mentor to me over the years. He grew up in Lebanon in some of the most difficult circumstances anyone could imagine. But rather than playing the victim, he used his upbringing as fuel once he migrated to Australia. He shares that adversity and uncertainty are natural consequences of entrepreneurship and discusses how he tackles it head-on. More importantly, he shares what is required to build a successful enterprise and how leading with character will always be your strongest asset and your smartest investment of time. This is Disrupt Radio. You're listening to Nick Brax with Soul Trader on Disrupt Radio. Fatty, thank you so much for making the time to come on here. I've known you for... I don't know how long now, probably 15 years or something. And we've been on a journey and, you know, it's been amazing to have your mentorship and see everything that you do. And, you know, really grateful to have you make the time to talk to me. Nick, I'm absolutely honoured to be with you on this show. And yes, I've known you actually almost 20 years. So it's been a long journey and a wonderful journey to know you and to know your beautiful family. Ed, huh? Yeah, exactly. It's been, you know, such a long time. And I've got very fond memories of our trip to Lebanon when you took our family over there. And uh, my first and only time I've been, so I've got to get back there soon. But no, uh, it has. It's been such a long time. So no, I really appreciate it. So I guess the, the first thing, oh, yeah, it's been a very long time. Um, the first thing I want to go into is your, your background uh, and sort of and help our audience understand you, where you've come from, how you got to where you are now. So are you able to tell us a little bit about, I mean, you've got an incredible story. So where where you came from and how you sort of found your way into where you are now? Absolutely. Uh, Nick, look, my uh, story has been a quite a, my journey in life, as a matter of fact, has been a quite a journey uh, uh, that has been full of twists and, uh, and you can say suspense here and there and uh, which made me end up where I am today um, because of my journey and the resilience I developed over the years. I actually was uh, born in Lebanon as, and um, in 1968 and um, my father was serving in the army then and then uh, all my mother's family were in australia from the 1940s and 50s so my mother forced my dad to retire from the army to come to australia 
When my dad retired, a week before we decided to depart Lebanon, my mom passes away. She dies. And I was only nine months old. And uh, dad was left mm. with four kids on his own. And, uh, and yet he was still persuaded to go to Australia and, and come to see her family. And you can imagine how difficult it was for him to come here to Australia without their, his, you know, their daughter, effectively with four little children. And I'm still, you know, I'm still breastfeeding, nine months old, you know, so it's just uh, horrible. Anyway, we came to Australia in 1969, December. Um, we spent about four to five years in Australia. My father found it very difficult and we decided to go back to Lebanon. So we went back to Lebanon in 1974. And as we arrived in Lebanon, a year later, the civil war broke down in Lebanon and it was absolutely one of the worst wars I had to experience and live in. We were uh, displaced. I've got actually injured during the war. Um, uh, we had um, loss of life, loss of properties. Um, it was absolutely disgusting. I can't tell you um, the mental and emotional impact this had on me was enormous. I've seen people being shot as a young kid. I've seen people being, you know, displaced uh, as a young kid, uh, you know, I did not experience anything to do with childhood at all, except for negativity and the war we went through. And so uh, anyway, Lebanon got to a stage where the war was so intense and so horrible in 1982. Um, we all know there was um, a lot of issues. The president of Lebanon was assassinated. Um, Israel invaded Lebanon from the south. Um, we had... Um, also, uh, everyone knows, even the Americans know that 280 Marines were killed in one day in Lebanon during an explosion that took place that time. And actually, I missed that incident by half an hour. I was on the way to the airport and I went past that Marine barrack. I still remember it like yesterday, but I actually saluted one of the Marines who was on guard. And half an hour later, that was, you know, um, a terrorist came in and it blew up the whole entire Marine barrack where 280 U.S. Marine soldiers were killed. Uh, sadly and regretfully. So uh, I've seen that part, of, oh you know, God. I sort of experienced that part as well on my way out of Lebanon. Um, anyway, we flew back to Australia in 1984, April. We had to, and I, as I arrived in Australia, I uh, honestly, uh, I didn't know how much I wanted to thank this country because this country has done so much for us. Yes. Welcomed us in as, not as uh, immigrants, but welcomed us as uh, Australians from the onset. And uh, so the education, the work, the uh, everything that we gained in Australia, I felt like it's a debt on me and I wanted to repay Australia back one way or the other. And this is why I started my crusade of, uh, of in education. I, I taught at Monash University for many years and I taught almost 6,000 students in law and non-law school. And I taught, and then I also obviously created the Zuki group, which I employed again. Uh, thousands of families over the years and we also donated millions of dollars back to charitable organizations in Australia to try again to show a small gist of what this country has done for us and Australia has rewarded us and has done a lot for me in particular in my family as you appreciate um, we have a successful business. Today I'm a lawyer. Today I'm also the Consul General for Lebanon in the state of Tasmania, uh, which I'm also I wear a diplomatic hat as well. And in addition to that, I'm the president of the Australian New Zealand Lebanon Chamber of Commerce and Industry. So we try and promote a lot of um, economic activity between Lebanon, the, uh, New Zealand and Australia. And as you appreciate, we all know, 
that economic activity is the only way to resolve, um, you know, uh, political instability or, you know, or any other issue or poverty or any other issue that society experiences that makes life very difficult in that country is the, to create an economic growth and economic stimulus is the way to resolve a lot of these issues. So that I've been very active on that part. And countries get closer together through economic ties rather than anything else, as you appreciate. Well, yeah, thank you for sharing. And I mean, there's, there's so much in your story. There's, there's probably too many things even just in your story for us to explore in one interview. And it, it's amazing what you've come from and just how much you've achieved and how much you've given back. And I mean... What I obviously know, knowing you and everyone else, you're one of the most positive, energetic, generous people that anyone would ever meet. And it's it's a pretty amazing example for people because, you know, a lot of, and especially in this day and age, a lot of people can want instant gratification, be really ungrateful and not present in, you know, realizing what 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 we're sort of going through so it's it's such an example and do you would you say a lot of that mindset has come from the hardship you know you were talking about how you didn't have a childhood you you know the hardship you went through did that just make you grateful for just having opportunity just having a roof over your head having the basics having the ability to just you know try and having the ability to have an opportunity Absolutely. Um, I used to tell my father yeah. many times in his living years, I used to say, Dad, why did you take us from Australia to Lebanon to become refugees? You know, why we were living here in a stable, in a good country, you know, um, why did you do so? First, of course, Dad said, I never expected Lebanon to go through the war because Lebanon then used to be like the Monaco of the Middle East. It was very beautiful, it was, you know, it's a place to be in those days. Um, but after that, I used to thank him a lot because War has taught you a lot of things, it wasn't only negative. War has made you resilient, made you um, appreciate life. As you said, Nick, appreciate the opportunities, appreciate peace, appreciate that, um, you know, what uh, you get in life, don't take it for granted. Um, and this is the reason why we were successful in Australia, because we worked very hard. Um, and nothing in this country was seen to me as just a mere small challenge compared to what I went through in Lebanon. And more importantly, I wanted to also help those people who were, if you like, I've experienced in my journey of life. As I said, I've lost my mother, so I was an orphan. I was a refugee, I was displaced. Um, I was discriminated against for religion and for nationality. I was, you know, we were treated um, as probably as a subclasses even by the rest of the world because of what Lebanon was going through. So when I came to this country, I fought very hard for Lebanon to make sure Lebanon actually receives, uh, you know, the right respect, what it deserves, because the 16 million of people of Lebanese origin around the world has done so much for the world. And your dad is one of those, to me, who is on the top of the list, who has contributed to politics, to economy, to business, and to many, and to pioneering and discovery in science and medicine. Lebanese have been pioneers in that area. So they deserve the respect and deserve the, you know, the recognition. Secondly, I wanted to also make sure that mm. Lebanon never again um, subject its people to the unfair war 
and secretarism that happened that was not necessary at all and use religion as a way to discriminate and hurt people. Religion was meant to be made for mankind, not mankind for religion. Okay, so that's something I worked and that's why I'm also I sat here in Australia for five years on the Human Rights Board or Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Board in Victoria that was appointed by the Attorney General and I that was my main message to ensure also what we experience in Lebanon doesn't happen here or anywhere else around the world including Lebanon. Um, the other element as well, obviously, uh, helping a lot uh, orphan kids. I educate about 35 orphan children in Lebanon as we speak to make sure they get the right education. And education is, again, the key to success for, uh, you know, for younger generations to to be a bit more, if you like, uh, open-minded and to be more um, uh, not subject to brainwashing and so forth that happened in that part of the world, especially when you're experiencing poverty and you need, you know, corrupt politicians or you need corrupt, uh, um, if you like, militias so to be able to survive. So we try to teach them so they can be self-sufficient and they can see the world and live with the rest of the world. As you know, Nick, you yourself, look where you are. You're in different parts of the world, you know, sharing your talent and experiences. We live in one world now. We don't live anymore in separate countries. You have to live part of the whole world. Otherwise, you're going to miss out and you're going to fall behind in everything you're doing. We live in the social media that opens the rest of the world. We live in, you know, communication. The, You know, we have uh, no borders now. So this is why we also try to help Lebanon during, from the Chamber of Commerce to maintain KPIs and to maintain its uh, connection with the rest of the world. So again, in Australia as well, we, um, you know, we, uh, through my law, been able to assist also a lot of people who provide them with a pro bono work to assist them to support him here in Australia who can afford, you know, to be legally represented. Um, we help the healthcare system that support us in our business. We poured millions of dollars back into the healthcare in help and in, in obviously in money they never had. Um, and we continue to do so. Um, um, and I'm all, as I said to you, the, the human factor in me has been truly established because of my ordeals I had in Lebanon and the childhood and the upbringing mm. that I had to grow through a very, very tough environment. I, I still remember when I first arrived from Lebanon to Australia, went to school. I remember a door shut once and I jumped and I to the ground and I tried to hide. I thought it was a bomb landed or something. You know, this is, this is how you're biologically, wow. you know, your system is always on alert. You don't even know what the word peace meant until you came here. You don't know what peace was. You had no idea. We grew up in a, you know, learning about guns and bombs and political groups. We didn't learn anything about, you know, we didn't know anything about, uh, you know, lunar parks or zoos or animals or anything. That's all we learned about. It was very sad. Wow. I mean, it, it's a different world than, you know, most of us understand. And, you know, it makes you realize how fortunate most of us are to grow up with, the, you know, the privilege that we've had. Would you say that's a bit of a problem with the modern modern age that we're in now where there's probably not enough resilience and people are wanting, you know, a quick fix, social media, all of the accessibility we have. If And I know for myself as well, I until I actually went through some hardship in my 20s, I didn't actually learn. And now I'm really grateful for all the, you know, difficulties that I had to go through because that's the only way you actually learn and grow. Would you say that's a bit of a an issue, I guess, in society? 
hundred percent. I think so. I think um, young people now were exposed to the social media, and you know we know quite clearly some of the social media is so unrealistic, and you know they make you live in in you know in, in a world that doesn't exist. And our kids and the younger people get influenced by this and think they have to be like these people overnight. And we all know things don't happen overnight. Things need a lot of hard work and perseverance and sacrifices to achieve success in your life. So it does give them a, um, a smoking mirrors, you know, and, and they believe it, unfortunately. You know, these days when some, someone starts a rumor and five seconds it spreads around the whole world and the people believe it, even though it's not true. And, and those rumors can destroy someone's life and destroy someone's business. So it's a, it's it's a crazy uh, world. Social media has a, it is a double-edged sword. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy world that we live in. Absolutely. I mean, look, you know, even even if you look at it this way, and I I shared that with your father when he was a premier, um, that we need to maintain the traditional, um, if you like, nuclear family in Australia and the rest of the world. Family plays a very important role in the younger people to keep them, to give them the support, give them the stability, give them the guidance. And unfortunately, we saw the family break down a lot. Um, you know, people don't tolerate each other anymore. People just leave and we, they don't have that anymore, you know, added value to the family. And that, I think, has been a major also cause to young people uh, finding life difficult. Uh, and imagine, Nick, people have to pay money to go and speak to someone these days rather than speak to your mother, father, or sister, whoever you want that's close to you. Mm-hmm. You've got to go and pay people money to speak to them. This is how sad it is. It's a real problem. It's a, a, a big issue. And yeah, it's. It, I guess it's why we're even having this conversation today because it is just such an issue in society. So welcome back to Soul Trader. You're listening to Nick Brax on Disrupt Radio. Fatty, thank you so much for sharing your story. The next thing I want to explore is the work you're doing. And I mean, as I was saying before, you've done so many things. I don't think I've ever met anyone in my life that has done and achieved as much as you and is able to take on so many tasks at a time. I mean, you're a pilot, you've got different businesses, you're a lawyer. I I, I can't even rattle off everything that you do. I don't understand it. So my first question for you is how the hell do you manage doing all of these different things? Absolutely. Thanks for that. Look, um, first I get bored very easily, Nick. (laughs) That's why I need to do that. I think, you know, Nick, I learned a life people make you, people break you. You need to have the right people around you to achieve your dreams and your goals. You need to have the right people who actually first, they see your vision, B, they are loyal to you, and three, they work hard for you. And I have been blessed along my journey to find some good key people in my life who worked alongside with me. And look, mind you, I rewarded these people as well because this can't be, it has to be a win-win relationship. It can't be one-way traffic. So um, in that regard, people who stood by me and supported me and believed in my vision have, have played a big role in helping me diversify my life until today. And so in the law firm, I have people who are strong enough to back me up. In my business, I have a hierarchy uh, executive structures. So they're, they're actually helping in, again, execute what I'm thinking of. And in terms of the community, the Chamber of Commerce, we have a strong board of directors. And again, the support of government, support of uh, individuals. Um, I can say today, and I say it 
till the cows come home. Your father has been one of my biggest mentors in my life as well at, in business level and, and in my career. He's been always there to advise me and support me. And also we flourished when he was in government because he implemented the right policy for business. He was fantastic. And I say that always in every event I'm in, you got to state the facts and that's fact. And remember something in life you learn that facts are stubborn. And that's the case. Well, that, that's really nice, Fatty, what you've said there about, about my father. And uh, I think he feels the same with you. And it's, you know, it, it is it's so amazing. And, and as you said earlier as well, in the Lebanese community, not just in Australia globally, to see how many people there are from Lebanon just doing incredible things, you know, in, in the world. And, uh, you know, it's an amazing thing. So the, what I want to ask you a little bit about uh, Zuki Group. And I know your story from, you know, when you were a lawyer and then went and started your first coffee shop and what it turned into. But are you able to tell us a little bit about how that all happened? Because it's a pretty incredible story. Of course. When I first uh, came out from law school and Australia was going through a, a massive recession, 1992, Australia got really had a, the, one of the biggest public economic grants ever experienced. Um, uh, Wall Street collapsed at that time. The property market crashed in Australia. Um, there was a high unemployment. Um, and even if you were working, you were earning a very small amount of money that really didn't do much for you. So that gave me the idea to think about developing a recession-proof business, a business that's not influenced by any economic, uh, you know, forces or, you know, so I thought about healthcare. I said, hang on, healthcare. No one have ever thought about it in Australia. Uh, everyone thought healthcare was only for sick people for, you know, to go there and be treated. And it's an awful environment, an awful, you know, uh, place to be. But in, in, uh, in hindsight, it was the best place for business because, and it is recession proof. Why? Because healthcare is not influenced by the weather, by politics or by, uh, by tourism or by anything at all. People get sick, they need to go to hospital and in hospital, they need to, there is, um, the, the minority are the sick and the majority are well. For example, a hospital that has 600 beds and there's 600 patients, you've got about 7,000 people looking after 600 people are sick. So you made those 7,000 people want to eat, want to drink, want to transact, want to do a lot of things. And every patient brings with them at least 25 visitors. And those visitors also, there is a waiting game. You got to wait for hours. So you got to drink coffee, eat and, and, you know, do what you have to do. And the psychology of it. When you walk into a hospital, you don't think about money anymore when someone is sick. You just think about, you know, hey, it gives you a wake up call about life. And you think, you know what? I don't get, you know, I should live my life. I should spend, let me, you know, let me do what I have to do. So all that makes our business model a, a, a very successful um, model in healthcare. And, and we flourish very rapidly. We've opened up over 280 stores in Australia um, and overseas as well. So, it's been a, a success story and we're not influenced by anything. You know, your business is actually the minute you open up your business the first day, you're trading because you've got to capture the market. You're also, you know, normally our leases mm. dictates that we have exclusivity to all the retail. Therefore, no, comp no one can really come in and compete against you. And the, the speed that I grew my business stopped if you like any opposition, I don't want to think too much about it to try and oppose me because by that stage I captured most of the big hospitals. So you had to work fast, hard, but also people used to ask me the question, well, if you have exclusivity, who's your competitors? I, you know, I used to say to them always my answer is 
I am, I compete against myself. I need to always never become complacent. You always have to change. Food is like fashion, as you know. You got to keep uh, up to date with all the style of food that's coming mm. up in, you know, the food offerings, the multiculturalism of food. You know, we, now we have fusion and mix and match from all over the world. All that things change over time. I remember when we first came to Australia, Australians didn't even know what oregano was. I used to have a to share a story with you, I took a manushi, it's an oregano pizza, Lebanese oregano pizza. I took it to university once and asked the girl behind the counter to warm it up for me. And she said to me, what's that? I said to her, it's a, it's a marijuana pizza. She threw it in my face, she believed me. So that's how bad it was. I didn't even know what oregano, pizza, <laughs> oregano was. So it, life changes. You can see now everybody eats, they know everything about all cultures, you know, spices and food and everything. So you need to be up to date with everything. So that's my business always restructured, remodeled and to just to make sure that people don't get bored of our model and keeps going. And so far, it's been a success story. And, and also, as I said to you early in the piece, the key to success is making a difference. And the key to success is also entering into a win-win relationship with anyone you deal with. It has to be win-win. It can't be at the expense of one person. So in healthcare, we generate a lot of money back to health to the government. We spend millions of dollars on CAPEX improving all the hospital assets. And more importantly, we hire thousands and thousands of families and we train thousands of families. I hire 10% of my staff are hardcore unemployed they with disability or people who have no qualifications to give them training and give them opportunity in life. Otherwise, you're not doing really, you're not making anything, any difference or contributing to society if you don't do that. Well, it's, you know, thank you for sharing that. And so many great points for everyone listening. I mean, what you're talking about there with, you know, already uh, with having the right team around yourself, making sure you've got the right people, that it's a win-win, that you're, you know, competing against yourself, I think is a really good uh lesson for anyone to take on board because too much of the time we get overwhelmed or we end up giving up because we are looking at what other people are doing and we're trying to, you know, we, we lose focus. We don't stick to what, we're, you know, doing what we do well because we're trying to be everything to everyone. So I think that's a really, really great point. For anyone that's wanting to go and start their own business to, you know, do a, a, or, or a similar pursuit, what would be some key, um, some some key sort of information you would want to give to them? What would what would be the advice you would say for anyone wanting to go through that journey? I think first and foremost is to have um, a mentor a right mentor to guide them in life. A mentor was prepared to support them and, and help them open doors. Uh, that's very important. Uh, secondly, as, as well, you need, to, you need to take risk. Life is not free of risk, so you need to be prepared to take risk. And that is maybe perhaps get a loan, put a mortgage on and, and you know, and, and go for it, you know, and give it a crack. Uh, if you don't take risk, you're not gonna get anywhere. Um, and thirdly, obviously, once that happens is you need to also make sure you're never, ever, ever complacent because someone out there will always be prepared to compete against you and do what you're doing, could do it better than you. So you need to always keep your feet on the ground and not become complacent. Keep, you know, sort of be realistic and keep improving whatever you're doing. And also, I also strongly believe if you build something, don't fall in love with it. If you if check, everything has a high mm. and lows. So when it's at the height, sell it if you can and get rid of it. Or, you know, if it's a good company model, either go to, um, to market and, and IPO it or get a private equity to invest in it, but sell it because one day it might start going down, 
and then you're going to lose all the goodwill it built over the years. So it's important to, to have an exit strategy as well. And is that a difficult thing to do, Fatty, not being too, having your identity too attached to the projects you're doing, not being too emotionally invested in it? Because it's, I mean, it becomes such a big part of your life. Is that a hard thing to separate? 100%. It is very difficult. It's easily said than done, I agree. So because you become, uh, the business gives you a lot of, um, if you like, self-boost and, and ego and confidence and, and of course, um, monetary gains. And you become attached and it's almost like a child of yours. But that is where you have to learn to say, no, I got to stop somewhere because this might one day become a liability and it become, and, you know, I might lose all that beautiful goodwill that I am building that have a value at the moment. And later on, you might lose that value because you can see a lot of chains in Australia started franchising and they were up in the top and suddenly they disappeared. And I'll give you a good, I don't know if I'm allowed to name, but if I name one is, um, actually, I don't know if it's a Canadian one uh, uh, chain that was uh, set up cafeterias in Australia. And uh, and they were very popular and suddenly now they don't exist. Starbucks in Australia has failed. Starbucks, now we only have five mm. stores probably in the whole country. We, again, so, and you're talking about some really, uh, you know, worldwide brands. So, when you build something and it's height, my opinion is work at an exit strategy, uh, cash in on the goodwill and, and take a hit. Very, very good advice, Fatty. And yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. I'm, I'm sure everyone listening to this is going to take so much out of it. Uh, we're going to have a quick pause here and come back for the, for the final section. Welcome back to Soul Trader. You're listening to Nick Brax on Disrupt Radio. Fatty, thank you again for sharing all of this information. The next part or the final part I want to explore is your mindset. Uh, it's a big part of what we talk about on this podcast and we're constantly trying to interview many different people from industries to understand how they, how they, you know, maintain a positive mindset, how they stay motivated, how they push through the hard times and how you avoid burnout as well as a huge one. So for you, what, what's one of the, do you have things you do daily to, to stay like that? Is it a natural thing? How do you push yourself? How do you stay positive when things are going going you know when, when think, things are uh, tough to stay positive i think uh, first and foremost as i said earlier you need someone to talk to you need someone to vent out someone who will encourage you and give you that positive you know uplift that you need so it's important to have that individual in your life uh, secondly um you live after a, a period of time life gives you a lot of experience and that experience itself um, helps you overcome problems and negativity. And in my instance, I, uh, I always see things as a challenge and I learn something. Everything in life has a solution except death. Everything. Everything can be resolved. And <laughs> yeah. so, you know, one way you, you think about it yourself, Nick, how many times you saw the world ending. And then the next day, life went on and resolved. You might not have got everything you wanted, but it's finished ended and you moved on to the next thing and that's that's the attitude people must take that everything has a solution except death in life so you i'm sure there'll be a, a resolution to any issues or any problems you experience in life and that's one thing thirdly you also um you know you, do, you don't look at the glass of water at the empty part you look at the full part and you see to yourself how blessed you are compared to others how blessed you are that you know you've um, you're still living a good lifestyle. You're healthy. You've got everything going. Your family is doing well. All that is again is invaluable. It's far more invaluable than monetary gain sometimes. And you gotta appreciate that. There's people out there who got money, fame, 
but they live a miserable life, you know, <laughs> very miserable life because that they haven't found really, uh, they're missing something very fundamental to their life. So whatever you have, appreciate and and treat it as a blessing and be positive about it. And the negative part you need to work on and to resolve it and to face it. Don't be scared to face your challenges. Face it and deal with it. You're dead right. You're dead right. There are so many, you know, famous, very successful people that are miserable because they just want more and, you know, it's addictive and it's something that you have to be so conscious of because all of this stuff is very addictive and we tie our identities up in it and we want more and more and more and, you know, you have to find that balance, which is really hard to find, especially when you're having to put so much into achieving whatever it is that you're trying trying to achieve. So uh, I think, yeah, what you said there is is so important for so many people to hear because we can just get lost in this process of trying to prove ourselves all the time and you know get the next win or whatever it is so yeah it's a really important point absolutely are there daily things you do fatty to look after your well-being yes i do i um i tend to uh walk um cross train exercise uh swim um you know occasionally i play tennis with the family um, I love also people. I love being surrounded by people. Being surrounded by people in, in a social setting, you know, um, it, to me, I'm a social animal. So <laughs> I need people around me to, to, you know, to sort of give me that positive drive as well. So, yeah, look, um, you know, you need to, you need uh, time out from whatever you do. And that time out has to also be not a, uh, if you like, don't, the time out shouldn't be any more a weight on your shoulder. It should be fun. It should be relaxing. It should be uh, exciting, you know, and traveling around the world, traveling around the world and, and, and learning and constantly learning. You know, life is a, is a university, you know, life is an endless university. You learn a lot, but it always is room to learn. Don't think you can ever stop learning. I don't think it's possible. And, and it's so true, isn't it? Being, you know, seeing the world, traveling, meeting new people, you just, you're learning all the time. You're growing and there's something every single day that we can, we can learn and, you know, we can take in. Absolutely. I mean, this is what, if you look at, I said earlier today, we live in one world. If you are, if you don't understand other cultures mm-hmm. of the world and other values and, and, uh, and the way they, they, their societies tick, you can't work with them. You can't. You can't work across the board anymore because A, you, you, you will not have the respect that you get and you'll never be able to communicate the message across to do deals with them, uh, whether commercial deals or other deals. You cannot, or even diplomatic deals. can't. You have to understand their culture, understand their values, and that's very important to have that education in you, to learn about the rest of the world because, again, it gives you the strength and gives you the status with the, you know, when you're dealing with the rest of the world. Tune in to Opportunity. Disrupt Radio. You give back. You've done so much charitable work, even through your businesses. You, you know, you've told us a lot of examples. How important do you think that message is for all of us, for everyone in life to, to give back? Because I know the times I feel best about myself and just most connected to life is when I'm actually doing those kind of things. And when you're not doing it, you can often just get so caught up in your own ego. So how how important is it? Um, Giving back is fundamental to your company uh, because then you're doing your part of corporate responsibility and fundamental to your own conscience and ethics as well and reflects on what sort of person you are. People can read that very easily. When you give back, people know that you're not selfish, you're not greedy, you're not self-centered, you're not egocentric. 
you're a person who's selfless. And believe me then, and I also believe in karma, it will come back to you in tons of success. And not success mm. only monetary, Nick. Remember, success also your health. At a certain age, your health is prime. And you know quite well, yes. you know quite well, you know how much you've donated and how much you're crusading today for health, for mental health, for people. Is There's nothing worse to lose your health because if you lose your health, you lose everything. So we can't gauge only success also in monetary wise. You got to gauge it by the respect of people have of you and the health of you and your loved ones. So people will gauge you on how much you give back and how much you, you support the community and how much you think about the smaller individual who has, hasn't been as lucky as you are, okay? And therefore, this is to me is fundamental part of your life uh, in business and non-business, very important. And that's why I'll, I will never say no to anyone who knocks on my door. I do my best to help them one way or the other because it is, um, it is part of your life. It is, you gotta accept that. And the minute you deny that, I believe you lose respect rapidly from your peers, from you know, from the government, from local, you know, your you know, your local business that you deal with, and you don't. Again, you don't get the satisfaction you get from simply helping people. The satisfaction you get from helping people is enormous, absolutely enormous. Well, thank you for sharing all of that, Fatty. And, and look, I've seen it firsthand with you so many times that I've been into your office before where there's been lines of people there because you are always making yourself so available to, you know, try and help out whoever whoever needs your advice, support or whatever it is. So I think it's, it's incredible what you're doing and such an important message. Um, we finish every episode with five closing questions. So these these can be sort of shorter answers, but whatever whatever comes to mind, I'm not going to throw you you know too too far under the bus with these. They're they're pretty, um, hopefully not too crazy. These questions, but the first one is what's your what's the best childhood memory that comes to mind for you? The best childhood memory that comes to me is you know when I uh, as you know as I grew up as an orphan, so I adopted a, I adopted a mother. Another mother adopted me. I adopted someone to be like my mother, and the surprise birthday that she gave me once, and have a cake. You know, having that that the privilege of seeing a cake that dedicated to me as a kid that's been displaced and been gone through you know hell in the war. And having all my friends around that cake to wish me happy birthday was till today left a huge mark in my life. And believe me, Nick, I actually, till today, that mother is in the United States and I brought them to Australia and I have rewarded them endlessly for what they did to me when I was a child. So that memory of one first birthday I had is made me one of the happiest individuals. Thank you so much for sharing. It's such a great story. Uh, the second one is, what, what do you think is currently the biggest burden on mental health in society? I think the, uh, I think the young people, um, not, not, not being able, you know, putting under um, a lot of stress to perform and to compete and to be something in, in a very quick manner. That's a huge pressure, and as indicated earlier, uh, the family, the family is not around enough to support to support younger people to keep them, in, you know, keep their sanity and direction and guide and give them most important the security they need, that self security, that they, and also make them feel that they're worthwhile. You know, we seem to always put down our kids sometimes, you know, make them feel inadequate or not, you know, and or compare them to other people. And that's the biggest mistake. That's a no-no. 
you can't do this to a young person, especially a child. You need to always uh, drum positiveness into them. Uh, remind them how special they are. Remind them how much you care about them. Remind them that they are not to not to look to compare, compare themselves because everyone in life has a crucifix to carry. Don't think anyone is free of problems. Everyone has a problem to their size, you know. So therefore, that is very important message from parents siblings to always support especially if they see their uh, their you know member of the family is going through a you know mental depression or stress love care and and respect and positiveness is is the best medicine for these people i couldn't agree more with you and i think it's just it highlights how important you know these conversations that we're having right now education it's just it's critical you know we we really really need that in society so thank you for sharing that What's your personal definition of happiness? My personal definition of happiness is um, a good question. <laughs> my personal uh, <laughs> is, is to see myself, my loved ones, and people who care about doing well and healthy, very healthy. That's that's will be my ultimate happiness. This is me. You know, I I I, I thrive on other people's happiness that I care about. I love that. I love it. That's that's a great answer. So I've got two more here for you. Yeah. What what are you most afraid of? Um, most afraid of <laughs> yes, um, losing a loved one. Losing a mm. loved one. It's a big one. Yeah. I don't wish it on anyone. I've lost my sister. Lost my father. Lost my mother. It, it, it's agonizing. It's it's merci- it's you know merciless. It's the worst. It's merciless. Yeah. yeah. Well, on on a positive note, for, final question: What are you most proud of? Most proud of the fact that I did my life at the expense of no one. I did not mm. abuse people in my life. I did not use people in my life, and I did not in any shape or form, um, hurt people in my life. So, you know, we're not perfect. Things happen unintentionally, but I was man enough to fix the situation when I realized I made a mistake. So I'm very proud of the fact that I am man enough to man to my mistakes and do my best not to hurt anyone in the process in the journey of my business and journey of my life in general. Well, it's a beautiful way to end, Fadi, and thank you again. I know how busy you are, so thank you for making the time and thank you for being a mentor to me and for all the support over the years and for everything you're doing. I really appreciate it and thank you again for making the time. Thanks, Nick. It's well-deserved. Well-deserved, Nick. Take care of yourself and God bless you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Soul Trader. I left this interview feeling humbled. The biggest point I took away was about turning negatives into positives. Our brains are literally wired to look for the negatives in situations. It goes all the way back to caveman times when we had to be on high alert for danger. But it simply doesn't serve us in modern-day situations. Fatty looks for the positives in everything. A mindset that was built out of growing up in war-torn Lebanon, and as he says, not even knowing what peace was. Everything that came thereafter was seen as a gift, and a lot of his success can be attributed to this attitude. The success of his company was literally born out of a negative situation. During hard economic times, he was compelled to look for an opportunity that was recession-proof, which led to working in the healthcare industry, revitalising cafes in hospitals, and building one of the most successful companies in Australia. 
A huge reason why many entrepreneurs don't succeed is because they give up when the times get tough. It was clear talking to Fatty that the resilience and gratitude he built after surviving his childhood played a key role in his success. He sees every challenge as an opportunity and a mere speed hump on the path to success. In his mind, nothing will be as hard as what he has been through. I also took a lot out of his discussion around the people he keeps around him. He mentioned that he would not be successful if he didn't create success for those around him. Both in his business and in his dealings, he always wants to make it a win-win. He talked about how he would not be successful if he did not have structures and a team supporting him, along with the importance of a close-knit family. Finally, Fatty talks a lot about giving back. He's on a mission to support the Lebanese community and wants to help people who come from hardship as he knows how tough it can be. 10% of his employees come from unemployment or have disabilities. He wants to provide support to those who may not get it in other areas. What I learned from this interview was that the deep meaning behind giving back is one of the key driving factors that propels him to keep pushing forward. We all set out to achieve certain things in life, but to really push through the hard times takes grit and determination beyond just achieving a personal goal. It takes something bigger than just us to keep grinding in difficult times, when no one's watching and when there seems to be little hope. Whether that be a cause, giving back or helping the disadvantaged, what I learned from Fatty was the importance of thinking and acting beyond just ourselves. Tune in to Opportunity. Disrupt Radio. Disrupt Radio. Tune in to Opportunity. Proudly brought to you by our launch partner, Amy. Disrupt. On Disrupt Radio, you'll hear Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. You have a theory about accelerator programs. Yes, we've been through, well, we've mentored and coached in a few accelerator programs. Just a few. Over the years. <laughs> Whether you're just starting out or figuring out your next stage of growth, the advisory board is here to lend a helping hand. Like, what are the blind spots that we have? What are the things that you just don't know. Megan Flamer and Alan Jones have helped thousands of founders, CEOs and organisations all over the world take their lives and businesses to the next level. How are the startup ecosystems different around the world? The advisory board. If they're a casual employee, their minimum entitlements will be different to somebody that's permanent, for example. Live on DAB+. I have to be prepared to, to take constructive criticism and take it on board and listen to it and you know incorporate it. Online and on demand at disrupt.radio.